0: to us from the gospel account of Matthew chapter 23 verses 11 and 12. The greatest among you will be your servant. All who exalt themselves will be humbled and all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. And that is probably the shortest scripture you will ever hear me read for a sermon, but you'll understand why in just a moment. Our Advent, at Christmas Eve and Christmas Day series, as they are all part of the same liturgical story, are inspired by O. Henry's short story, The Gift of the Magi. And that happened because, as I've been enrolled in the Reynolds Leadership Program, our first gathering back in August allowed us to stay all together at the O. Henry Hotel. And there, tucked into the nightstand, was not just the Gideon Bible and the Book of Mormon, but a copy of O. Henry's. The gift of the Magi. Now, having read the Bible many times and bringing my preferred translation, I did not read the Bible again from the nightstand. I've already read the Book of Mormon. I'm good. And so I decided to spend some time rereading O. Henry's story. Now, maybe you've read it. If you haven't, you can find it very easily. And it's truly a short story. Now, it's a little bit archaic in its grammar, its English, and and some of the wording it uses, but I promise you, you can get through it, and there's probably a modernized English version as well. But it really is worth reading. It's quite an inspiring story, and what it did was inspire our worship team to think about each generation and the gifts that we have received from them. For every generation brings something unique and special and precious, not just into the world, but specifically the church. And as we are preparing for the greatest gift, it's quite appropriate for us to learn to recognize the gifts in one another. And so today, we are going to start with what is known as the greatest generation. These are those that were born before 1928. We actually have two members of our church that are in this age group. We have several others that attend and are part of our family of faith, but we do have those in our midst who are part of this. And each week, each Sunday, and Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, we will go through the subsequent generations. And I know some of you are not going to agree with me on the designated years, but who you're really disagreeing with is not me, but the federal government. For I have gone and looked in both the Library of Congress and the Social Security Administration give these dates. So if you don't like it, you can call your congressman and see if they can fix it for you. But we are gonna go by these because I can tell you right now, many people don't agree. In fact. Our director of communications and I are constantly going back and forth. He thinks that our generation is a sandwich generation. He likes to refer to us as the Oregon Trail generation, the computer gate. I was like, that is not going to fly my kite. We are going to have to work on something better than that. But here we go. We're going to start with the greatest generation. And who is the greatest generation? Well, the idea of the name, of course, owes itself to Tom Brokaw, who wrote a book and generated and coined that term. These are those, and this is a very um, American-centric concept for us, but these are those that grew up in the Great Depression. These are those that fought in World War II. And these are those that developed certain traits. Now, not everybody has these traits, but this generation has worked very hard, and these are the things that they most often embody. Personal responsibility. The idea that each person has a responsibility or a social responsibility to the community integrity, humility. And humility and integrity go hand in hand. In fact, there's a sign in the church office that says, work hard, stay humble, which goes into their next one, their strong work ethic. This is a generation that knew that hard work would produce results, putting all that they are and all that they had into their jobs, their careers, their ambitions, their families, their country. And so their strong work ethic also produced an idea of what you have earned you need to be responsible with. They are known for fiscal prudence and sometimes frugality, but they are also known for their faithful commitment. This is the generation more than any other that celebrated 50th anniversaries. This is a generation that believed in lifelong commitment. And here are some of the ways in which they have contributed to us both as Americans, as we are here in America at this time, but also as the church, they gave us the golden age of Hollywood. This is the generation that gave us comic books, and I personally thank you for that one. This is also the generation that proliferated and brought to a whole new level swing and jazz music. This is the generation that made radio what it is. Now it's digital, or it's streamed, or it's satellite, but... We owe the use of radio to them. And then here is something very important. This is a generation where 86% are Christian. That's a greater percentage than the country of all generations right now. 86% are Christians. And 70% profess to have experienced and have spiritual peace. What a wonderful thing to achieve, spiritual peace. Most of us will spend our lives looking for spiritual peace, but it is wonderful to know that you can obtain it. You can at least touch it or taste it. You can reach that point. It gives the rest of us something to aspire for and to persevere through those difficult times. The greatest generation is a generation that has richly blessed the church. And that's why the passage today was so short, You don't have to say a lot because they're a humble group, and their works speak for themselves. So with the greatest generation in mind, hear once more our scripture. The greatest among you will be your servant. All who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is a group of people that don't insist on touting their own accolades and tooting their own horn. This is a group of people that let their lives speak for themselves. They have seen some of the worst in humanity. They have experienced some of the most dire circumstances this country has known, the Great Depression and the worldwide struggle to triumph in the World War. And because of that, they know how to go with nothing and yet create something, create a life, create a home, and create a legacy. These are those that believed very strongly in their responsibility to other Christians. By and large, these are the most faithful and consistent givers in churches. These are those who tithe. These are those that believe that they do worship the Lord with all that they are and all that they have. They also believe most sincerely in Christian education. This is the group that brought forth that wonderful Sunday school system, not just a concept or a way of structuring education on Sunday morning for children, but actually built entire buildings known as Sunday schools. And Methodists were especially embracing of the idea of Sunday school. In fact, many of you might have been a member of a church that had a Christian education building that was specifically designated for Sunday school. Our old sanctuary over here is now our Christian education building in that that is where our preschool is every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And there those children learn, much as we did, those of us that grew up in a Sunday school system, about the love of God, about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and about how to live together in community. And so that legacy is very important. Now, not everyone grew up with a Sunday school system. And more and more, there are definitely Christians that have no idea what I'm talking about. And it was often a denominational occurrence. A lot of denominations emphasize Sunday school more than others. And for some of us, it was much more cultural and particular to the actual church that we were a member of or in which we grew up. And so in my case, we grew up with Sunday school, which meant that on Sunday morning, you came to church a little early and you did one of two things. You went to worship or you went to Sunday school. And then afterwards, if you had not been to to worship because you were in Sunday school, then you went to worship. And it was broken up by a little tiny fellowship time in transition. And the fellowship time was a very sacramental and sacred time. It was when adults used to go get coffee and hot tea, and when children would get almost like a shooter glass of orange juice and some animal crackers. And there, all generations would mix and mingle, having come forth from their worship or from their Christian education time, and transition to their next phase. So Sunday morning wasn't just an hour. Sunday morning was a multiple-hour experience in those days because the greatest generation believed that their wisdom, their experience, and their gifts for God were meant to be given to new generations. That's why I had Sunday school teachers who weren't my friend's parents. In fact, oftentimes, they were people who were old enough to be my grandparents, or my great-grandparents, and you would think to yourself, why on earth would somebody choose to be a Sunday school teacher for seventh graders? Why? It's an awkward time in our lives. I mean, having been a seventh grader a long, long time ago, I can tell you that it's one of those times where we struggle just to even figure out how we're thinking and feeling, and our body is growing and changing. It's that time when your voice goes like this, and it changes every single day. And one day you're a soprano, and the next day you're a tenor. It's quite intriguing to see how our bodies change. One week you can run and jump and climb the highest mountain, and the next week you fall over your own shoes. Because our bodies are in flux. We are changing, and for a group of people who are not our parents or even our grandparents to choose to be with people in the midst of that transition was truly a blessing because they knew that all that they had experienced and that they had been blessed to receive was only as good as pouring it back out on others. And so they taught. And they showed us that it's not the banking system, I have information that you need, and so I just pour it into you, and then you regurgitate it and repeat it back to me. Instead, they believed in what education calls engaged pedagogy. They believed that it was an opportunity to form a relationship and a bond And that there, we learn together. We learn from one another. And all of us are changed and affected. It was truly a beautiful way of sharing the wisdom of God. And so they gave this to the church. Now, it has certainly morphed and changed, and not every church has a Sunday school system. But it has laid for us a firm foundation that every church must wrestle with. How do we teach the next generation? How do we share what we have? They believed that it didn't happen through osmosis. You couldn't just sit several pews over from a child and expect all of that to just inherently go forth. That it took effort and time, a relationship. And so it was that they blessed countless children by their willingness to be a part of that system. And if you've ever been in Sunday school, there's chances that you knew somebody that was not your grandparent, who chose to be a part of your life. And for some of us, that was groundbreaking, life-affirming, and life-changing. And so it is that the greatest generation continues to inspire and hold us accountable for how we share what we have received. Now, I had my own experience with the greatest generation. Both of my grandparents, both sets of my grandparents, were from the greatest generation. They were not carbon copies of each other. They were from different areas and regions of the country, and they had different backgrounds. And uh, One was definitely more embodying of the frugality, piece than the other. Uh, In fact, my father's parents, who I'm about to talk to you about, were the best uh, example of that to me. And they lived in Missouri or Missouri, if we're talking to them. They lived in Missouri, and they came there as transplanted Pennsylvania Dutch of German descent. And so looking for a new life for themselves and their families, their ancestors traveled all the way from Pennsylvania to Missouri. And they ended up settling in this little town called Joplin. And there they built, through hard work and sweat and toil, a new life, a life that produced generations, including my father. And because of that, we had the opportunity to travel there. We were living in Northern Virginia, and we would travel about every two or three years. My parents would pack me up into the car, and then later on, my sister. And we would traverse the day and a half it took to get to Missouri. And when we would get there, we would experience a life wholly different from ours in Northern Virginia. Things were not the same in Joplin as Fairfax County. And in Joplin, people did things differently. So in Joplin, I was experiencing the fact that they didn't have the same expectations for immediate gratification. They believed instead that hard work would produce results. So when I showed up with my Game Boy, a video game in the 80s, when I showed up with that, my grandfather said, why does she need that? She doesn't need that. Well, for me, it was the respite from all of this, like, stuff that I didn't understand. Why are we saving twist ties? You get a new twist tie with every bag of bread. Why do you need to save the twist ties? I didn't understand. Why are we saving everything? Every margarine container, every jar. Save all these things. Why? because this was a generation that knew what it was like to have nothing. This was a generation that knew that if you had something, and you worked at it, and you thought about it, you could use what you had, however small, and make it work. And so, yes, they saved twist ties. My grandmother saved styrofoam meat trays stacked to, like, here. My grandmother was able to save all kinds of things. And we would go to her house and we would be amazed she outlived my grandfather by over a decade and we would see the things that she was doing and us with our modern consensus would look at it and go, that's weird, that's so strange. What does she need this for? But we didn't understand. She had seen this world at its worst. She had seen people that had nothing in the Depression. She had seen this world when it was scavenging just to have enough as the entire world seemingly fought in the war. A war that has not yet been duplicated and by the grace of God may it never. She had survived all of that. She had come of age in those times and they had changed her and how she looked at the world, how she looked at things. And it wasn't that she was hoarding. It was that she believed that if God help us the day came where people once more had nothing or they were struggling, that those that had saved could help each other. And that those things that we once looked at as inconsequential might once more be of use. And that is how she looked at things. She looked at things as possibilities. And that changes the way that you look at the world when you see potential not just how can that help me now. And so it is that the greatest generation has affected us this way, looking at the potential of a situation, the potential of a person, or the potential to transform circumstances. We lost a great many of the great generation that remained during the pandemic. Some of them we lost to COVID itself. Because, in their age, some of them had acquired pre-existing conditions, and some of them we lost to the isolation. But we lost them. But the foundation that they built remains. They have given every subsequent generation, the silent generation, the baby boomers, Generation X, the millennials, Generation Z, and now Generation Alpha, foundation upon which to stand and build and for those of us that are left behind it's an opportunity to not just be thankful for what they have done and thankful for who they have helped us to be but an opportunity to see where do we go from here what have they taught us that we need to continue what have they revealed to us that we really do need to allow to become part of our dna And above all, how do we continue to honor that they have truly been part of God's transformation for us as the body of Christ and as the church? So if you know a member of this generation, perhaps today or in the days ahead, you will tell them, because they're not going to give you their accolades. They are humble, and they are not going to be the ones to tell the world, I'm still here they are. They are very much a firm foundation, a stiff upper lip, and shoulders to cry upon, to lean against, and shoulders that know what it is like to suffer, and not just survive, but to triumph. That is what the greatest generation has given to us. What a legacy it is, for those who believe that even when the world was suffering with unforetold violence and pain, that they still saw the goodness of God. They not only saw the goodness of God, but they held on to it with all that they are. 86% choosing to declare to the world that Jesus Christ is their Lord. And the story of the nativity is the story of those that take nothing and make something those that in the midst of their own suffering and pain find a way to triumph because the nativity is truly a story of people who had nothing sometimes it's hard for us to remember that but as you can see we have finally acquired a great with child mary Here she is she's great with child And so she is expectant. I love this one. She still looks very Madonna, but she still looks like, oh, this is a big thing. And so this Mary has traveled all the way to Bethlehem, and they're waiting for one of two things. One of two things is going to happen with her and Joseph. Either the census will happen, and it takes quite a long time for a census to occur, and for everybody to be sufficiently counted because they didn't have the gift of technology, or this baby is going to come. And if if the census is completed, then they can go home. But if the baby comes, their lives are going to be changed. And they are dwelling in a very humble place. Humility is embodied in these two. They are in a stable. They are in the ancient equivalent of a garage. They are there because not even their family, who would have gathered in the city of David, Bethlehem, are willing to extend them hospitality they're worried that their strangeness and their unconventionalness will rub off on them. Their family was worried that this woman who is pregnant out of wedlock might actually profane them. And they can't wrap their heads around a man that would choose to marry her, even though her child is not his. And they want nothing to do with it. So much so that a woman who was great with child in her third trimester, almost up to the point of giving birth, and her husband, who have traveled very hard and very long, are stuck in a stable with animals. And there they make the most of it. There they try to persevere and find their joy and hold on to their hope. And there in the stable will the Christ child come laid in a manger that is built of their hopes and their dreams for the child. There the child will emerge amidst circumstances that were so humble and lowly we could not fathom them ourselves. And yet there, the spark of the divine, the light in the darkness will shine forth. And if that doesn't describe the greatest generation, I don't know what does. They are those that found a way to keep their light burning. They are those that found a way to help other people light their lights in the midst of darkness unparalleled. And while so many of them may be gone from our physical presence, are they not on our minds and in our hearts? And are they not now in God's hands? We will see them again. And in the meantime, We are the ones to whom they have bequeathed their legacy. All the generations that remain, we are those that must decide how to build the next layer of our foundation. My grandparents and those of the greatest generation laid a very firm foundation. It's very level and it's very well done. And now my parents of the silent generation and the boomer generation have laid their next foundations upon it so that my sister and I, Generation X and Millennial, may build our next piece. And my son, who is Generation Z, I look to him and see how much farther can we raise them up. But I can only do that because many, many decades ago, people like my grandparents decided that no matter what the world threw at them, no matter what their circumstances or how lowly and humble their state, that they were going to make the most of it and let the light shine. May we be inspired, may we be challenged, and may we be grateful for those that the world has come to know as the greatest generation. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.